Hey, welcome to the Sanctuary Church podcast. Sanctuary Church is a family following the path of Jesus together in Providence, Rhode Island. If you'd like to learn more about our community, you can visit our website at sanctuaryri.org or check us out on social media. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope you are encouraged by today's teaching. We are in a series called The One We Long For, The One You Long For, getting at this, um, these primal aches in our humanity and a recognition that we find um, their fulfillment in, in God. And one of the, the things that we wanted to do in the, over the course of Lent and Eastertide, if you're new to church, is the season we're in right now, um, six weeks of celebrating Easter and then Pentecost. Uh, which is the season we celebrate the giving of the Holy Spirit. We wanted to take each one of these seasons and zero in on a member of the Trinity. And so recognizing that something that if I were to just kind of say it on its face, like we're going to spend the next um, uh, 18 weeks studying the doctrine of the Trinity. That doesn't necessarily move you in your bones. Uh, maybe some of you it does. You're like, that's exactly what I want. Um, that's what we've been, been essentially doing. Um, and recognizing that something that may on the face of it feel sort of distant and far off, hopefully you're discovering this is about as close to the bone, as close to our longings and our cravings and our heart as anything in the world. A.W. Tozer said, uh, the most important thing about you is what you think about God or what you don't think about God. And we spent a lot of time unpacking that phrase. And today we're going to look at Jesus' claim that I am the bread of life. There's something uh, about um, uh, Jesus that is fascinating, and uh, I think I've said this the last couple weeks, but I'll say it again. We just have this propensity to project onto Jesus, just like we have a propensity to project onto other people, project onto our spouses, project onto our best friends, project onto the people around us. This must be what they're thinking. This must be what they're like. This must be what they really ultimately want. And we take ourselves and our own cravings and longings and our most unhealthy, we really push those onto others. And I think with Jesus, the same can be true. In fact, in our day and age, in our city, in our context, the move is to sort of appropriate Jesus, um, you know, politically or, or ideologically. I believe these things are what love, mercy, justice, compassion must look like. I believe Jesus is good and true, so I'm going to make Jesus sort of fit those things. And a lot of times um, we find Jesus uh, at odds or, or presenting a sort of challenge to us. My favorite observation of reading the Gospels is that he seems to be somehow both more inclusive and more exclusive than we remember. And so this... Uh, this verse today that um, Sarah just read, I am the bread of life, um, I think is uh, more relevant and powerful <laughs> a phrase and an idea than ever before. It's been said that the more that we consume, the hungrier we get. Anyone ever heard that idea? This is because we don't really understand the source of our hunger and we treat our deep need, our deepest needs as shallow wants. And so we've talked a lot over the years about how quick we are to medicate, how quick we are to sort of like choose the shallower thing, the lesser thing, rather than feeding or exploring and then feeding what the true ache of our souls is. Walter Brueggemann says this, it is only God who can deal with the anxiety among us. The attempts to resolve anxiety in our culture are largely psychological, economic, and cosmetic 
they're bound to fail because they do not approach the causes. Our public life is largely premised on an exploitation of our common anxiety. The advertising of consumerism and the drives of the acquiescing society like the serpent seduce people into believing there are securities apart from the reality of God. This hunger and desire for satisfaction is not unique to our age. And that's what Jesus is addressing in the text we just read. In the first century, the crowds who followed Jesus revealed the same sorts of aches in their heart. They wanted provision protection, justice, a sense of worth. And in Jesus' day, much like our own, people seem to think that the solution to all their longings would be material comfort. So the context here is Jesus having just fed the 5,000. If you're fairly familiar with the scriptures, you may have heard of this miracle. Miraculously, like stealing a Lunchable from a kid and then turning it into lots of Lunchables. Andrew's translation. And there's this, there's this um, fascinating exchange that we're going to get into here where the crowds believe that if they could get Jesus to become king, then he could use his miraculous powers to provide for their needs, to deliver them. Who wouldn't want a leader with a supernatural ability to serve their practical needs and usher in an era of physical peace and prosperity? But as we're going to read, Jesus is getting at something deeper. When they found him on the other side of the lake, this is after he has fed the 5,000, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed. Signs here is a loaded phrase. Like not because you realized that I'm something more than just a provider of like magic tricks. I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You're just coming because you want more food, because you want a certain kind of king is actually what we read in the passage before. He, is, he left, it says, because they wanted to make him king by force. They wanted a, a, a political savior. They wanted a physical savior. They wanted just to touch the physical needs. And then he says here, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, which is himself, will give to you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked, what must we do what do we do to then, what do you require? Jesus answers, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So he's referencing the Exodus story when they were traveling in the wilderness. God's teaching them about trust and dependence. And he gives them this like weird food that appears only in the morning called manna. And they, 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 if they keep it and try to store it up, it'll spoil by the next day. The only time they're meant to keep it is going into Sabbath. Teaching them, give us this day our daily bread, just enough. Trust me that I'm gonna provide for you. You don't need to stockpile. And Jesus says, they're like, yeah, just give us more of that. Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness 
He gave them bread to eat. Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven because they're looking for another Moses. They're looking for a prophet. They're looking for a president. They're looking for their political party to hit the top. They're looking for something to satiate their needs. They're looking for the peace and prosperity that if I could just get into that neighborhood and that idea, if they could just hit that point in their calling, if they could just have this removed, if they could just take care of that, if they could just leave that person, if they could just, like, go down the line, if that could just happen, then everything would be all right. And he says, no, no. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven. He says, sir, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is a super strange text. He goes on in the next section, whoever eats my bread and drinks my blood, like we just did at communion, like these are the ones who will have life. He's using word pictures. Our literalist post-enlightenment brain sometimes has a hard time with this. He's painting with a picture. He's saying there's a deeper hunger and a better bread. I want to invite you for a minute to think about the times in your life you've been most hungry for something. Most, most like just driven to see something happen. When was the last time you were deeply longing for it? Maybe it was a job or an experience, a project, a house, a car a lifestyle change. He's like longing for some sort of like goals for your life. And did you ever have a moment where you asked yourself the question, like what did you want from that? What was the longing behind the longing? Have you ever gotten to the thing you wanted and realized that's not quite it? You ever had that moment before? You were like gunning for something. And it didn't kind of, didn't like hit the sweet spot you thought it would. Have you ever looked deeper at your longings and desires? Have you ever followed them all the way down and asked, what's going to be waiting for me there? One of my favorite lines is, what's the thing behind the thing? There's usually something behind that, behind that drive, behind that ache, behind that desire. This is vintage Jesus. He wants to change their understanding of what his purpose is. Deeper longings, addressing the deeper things of humanity rather than the surface ones. They want a king, and he says again and again, in so many different ways, he says again and again, I'm different, and I'm here to fix the bigger problems of humanity. I'm here to go after the thing underneath all the other things, which is your heart. He had a different message. Jesus says, I know you want food, like I'm the food. I know you, I'm not here to usher in manna. I am the manna. It's this bread of eternal life, which to be clear, eternal life is like a quality of life. Yes, it's sort of heaven after we die, but it's that abundant life. It's the life of the ages here and now. I am the bread of life. A number of years ago, there's this film that came out featuring uh, featuring Leo and Kate, and it wasn't Titanic. Um, I've referenced this film, I know, before. Revolutionary Road, anyone ever seen this movie? Basically, it just tells the story of this young, dreaming couple who move out to the suburbs who get just, like, crushed and sold a kind of a false American dream of achievement, and their hearts ultimately die. It's like sweet story. <laughs> Super encouraging film, right? But it, it was 
pretty prophetic, eye-opening. Kind of gave us a picture of, I think, what a lot of us were feeling. I've seen this happen so many times. Our hearts die and our dreams die when we build them around lesser longings. The life that we long for just kind of, it's the word, like, like dissipates almost, like under the weight that comes from chasing the wrong stuff. One of my favorite poets, Mary Oliver, um, in the end of one of her poems called When Death Comes, she writes this. I think this is on the screen. When it's over, I want to say all my life I was a bride to amazement. I was the bridegroom taking the world into my arms. When it's over, I don't want to wonder if I have made of my life something particular and real. I don't want to find myself sighing and frightening or full of argument. I don't want to end up simply having visited this world. Sobering, right? No? And it's hard to like amen something that like brutal, but. When it's over, I don't want to wonder if I've made of my life something particular or real. I don't want to find myself sighing and frightened or full of argument. I don't want to end up simply having visited this world and not taken hold of it. There's this phrase I heard a pastor say years ago, and it just stuck in my craw and has never leave. I don't want to get to the end of my life and realize that I was just kind of playing a game. I think we feel this threat of wonder and purpose and meaning. Maybe you're here, you're not a follower of Jesus, but I bet you feel that threat. Because wonder and meaning and beauty and the deep things that we know need to be satisfied, they get pushed out so freaking easily. Or again, we don't follow our actual desires down far enough. We just want out, we just want out, we just want out. And so when Jesus says stuff like, pick up your cross, you're gonna have to wrestle through it. As my friends and brothers and sisters in recovery say, wherever you go, there you are. You can't run from this stuff. It will get you, even if it's on your death, not to your deathbed. We know that our hearts can be the casualty of things like success, of even getting what we want. It's so cliche at this point, but I'm gonna just mention it again. Like the amount of people who win, how many people feel like they're winning right now? (laughs) Some people are like, yes. And then who wants to just turn like, <laughs> no, some of you are like legit, you're winning. Things are amazing. The amount of people who win during the first half of their life though, and then say things like, none of this really mattered to me, but we do it anyway. Jim Carrey, I've used these quotes before, I love them. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed so that they can see that it's not the answer. Jim Carrey. Some of you are like, I hated him anyway. Here's a different saint who betrayed us all, but a saint nonetheless, Tom Brady. Asked, Brady says, why do I have three Super Bowl rings? This is obviously a little while back. And still think there's something greater out there for me. I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream. Me, I think, my God, it's gotta be more than this. The interviewer says, so what else is it that you're longing for? Great question. Brady responds, what else is there for me? I don't know. And we can look at, I mean, I don't know, Tommy, as well as I should, you know. (sighs) Haven't had avocado ice cream in a while, you know. But what does Brady seem to do in response? 
to the point of even devastating his own marriage. He just keeps going. His response to the question, what is it you're longing for? He's like, I don't really know. I'm just going to keep going. So there's more rings and more rings and keep pushing and keep pushing. Every song that you've ever heard, right, that said money or wealth can't buy me love or can't buy me meaning. It brings a sort of like uh, clarity, lucidity to the phrase that Jesus says in this passage. Do not work for bread that spoils. Don't. Don't work for the stuff that won't last forever, that doesn't matter the most, which implies you've got to work for some stuff. Jesus warns us here. He says, don't cling to worldly success. Don't cling to a lifestyle obsession. Don't cling to the political circumstances. Don't cling to the bread that spoils. And we have to be careful of this. I know I mentioned this last week. When, when we hear the phrase, it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, I think we all implicitly know this is true. It's just hard when you've got the things that you want and you've got the things that you need. It's hard to realize the thing that's most important sometimes. You confuse, and to be clear, I say you, I mean me, I mean us. I confuse the gift with the giver. Success is good. Having a lot of satisfaction in your calling is good. Wealth implicitly, not bad. But how quickly these things become the end and of themselves. Jesus, could you give us some more bread? That's why they crossed. That's why they followed him. And he's like, guys, 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 guys. I was trying to give you a sign of something more and I want you to trust me with something more than just a meal, with something more than just like a 401k, with something more than just momentary satisfaction, with something more than just figuring out a way to get out of that hard situation easily, with something more than just living like encased and hidden away from everybody in your own little cave. Jesus warns us here, don't work for the bread that spoils. Don't. G.K. Chesterton famously said, every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. Like you, you look, I know you're looking for power. I know it looks like you're looking for sex. I know it looks like you're looking for an escape. Ultimately, what's Chesterton saying? Like there's a longing underneath that longing. Think about the very nature of pornography for a moment. Like the nature of this is people not having real sex. It's like real on a biological level, but it's literally not real at all. It's like on a movie set. Something with people who like, we're not even looking at their real names. And people get addicted to pornography all the time. They're actually, what are they being addicted to? Is an illusion, an echo a distortion of the very good and beautiful and real thing, which is sex, which is a gift from God. It's like a perfect image, however crass and hard that is to like hear. You're like, that's a little much, Pastor. Like, I don't know a better one. Something beautiful and good from God. And we get actually addicted to a fake version of it, to a lesser version of it. Philip Yancey says, a society that denies the supernatural usually ends up elevating the natural to supernatural status. Can't this be said of like food and sex? So many things of comfort. Sophisticated moderns, that's us, have not renounced transcendence. We haven't stopped believing in the transcendent. We've just replaced it with weak substitutes. <laughs> Dang. 
Guys, someday I'm going to be wise enough to drop quotes like that and I won't have to quote other people. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Blessing, son. I've shared this before. Annie Dillard tells of experiments uh, where entomologists, they entice a male butterfly with a painted cardboard replica that's larger and more colorful than the female of their species. Getting super excited, <laughs> the male butterfly literally mounts the piece of cardboard again and again, hoping for some satisfaction that cardboard can't quite bring the male butterfly. All the while, the very real and living female butterfly is opening and closing her wings next to the cardboard in vain. Look this experiment up, it's wild. So much of life is cardboard. It's just not gonna get you there. Things appearing to be better than the real thing. It's appearing to be able to meet our deepest longings and our hunger when in real life, true beauty becomes invisible and irrelevant. So just a question for you if you're taking notes to drop in here for you to think about this week and process. What's your cardboard butterfly? <laughs> what is the thing beneath the thing? One last long quote for you. Jurgen Moltmann says this. In our modern society, human beings have apparently been turned into voracious monsters. They are tormented by an unquenchable thirst for life. The more they have, the more they want. So their appetite is endless and can never be appeased. Why have people in our modern world become so perverted? Because both consciously and unconsciously, they are dominated by the fear of death. Their greed for life is really their fear of death. And the fear of death finds expression in an unbridled hunger for more, for more power. You only live once, we're told. You might miss out on something. This hunger for pleasure, for possessions, for power, the thirst for recognition through success and admiration, that is the perversion of modern men and women. That is their godlessness. The person who loses God makes a God out of himself. And in this way, a human becomes a proud and very unhappy mini-God. Jesus doesn't want to do away with your desires and longings. You may have been raised in a church environment where someone like subtly emphasized that or explicitly did. He doesn't want to do away with them. That's actually Buddhism. That's not Christianity. He wants to reroute them. He wants you to chase them all the way down because he knows that if you do, you will find him there. And then your desires and longings will find their proper place. Now, let me say this. Most of you who are followers of Jesus probably like, we're like, yep, okay, Jesus is the answer. It's that classic Bible study sermon. Yes, he can meet all my needs. But I, I just want to be honest here and then we're going to go into kind of a long prayer reflection and examine time. It doesn't feel like this. I know it doesn't feel like this. It feels awesome to have these longings satiated in these easy ways. It feels amazing, but it's what C.S. Lewis calls the sweet poison of the false infinite. And I just want you to emphasize that line like the sweet poison. It's so sweet. Every good thing comes from God. I remind my girls of this every night when they go to bed. I'm like, where did all the good stuff today come from? Jesus. Were there some hard things today? Yeah, it's a really hard world. People make choices and people make decisions, but you can choose the good and the beautiful day after day. 
all the good and all the blessing. I remind them that the devil never invented a pleasure. Devil never invented any good thing. He just distorted all the good stuff. And so it's hard for us because we know or we should know all good things come from God except we end up choosing these lesser things and they are slowly killing our heart. The sweet poison. Because nobody, nobody stands up and says, here's what I want to do. I'd like to destroy my life by loving lesser things. I want to buy into the illusion that this is all there is, so let me pick an illusion based on a distorted cultural value that I have, and then I'm just going to binge on it until it blows up my life or I die full of regret and bitterness. Right? I mean, some of you who are really in a dark place, maybe you actually are like, aren't there. And you come forward for prayer. That's the place of despair. But we don't say this, right? Right? Nobody says this. This is why we need Jesus. This is why we need discernment. Even though some things I know he says are hard and confronting, but when he challenges, challenges us with things like self-denial, deny yourself and try again to do this. Deny your wants for something better, for something more beautiful. He's saying it's worth it. And you may be so far down the rabbit hole of bitterness or anger or frustration or pain. You may be so far down the rabbit hole of like insulating yourself with your finances or whatever it is. And he's like, give it all away. That's why he tells the rich man, like, what must I do to enter? Not what must everyone do. What must I do to enter? And he's like, dude, you gotta, I can see your heart. Sell it all. If Jesus came to you and said today, sell it all, could you do it? Would you trust him? Get rid of it all, man, because it's actually eating your heart. There's something better. There's a better bread. There's a better bread. Look, no one loves a doctor who when, like, something is wrong, something's, like, really wrong with you. They got some cancer in your bones. And the doctor's just like, nah, you're pretty fine. Just exercise a little, juice three times a day, maybe a little, like, cleanse. It'll be okay. No. No. We'd like to know what is actually wrong with us. And sometimes Jesus has to give us hard truths, but they are the truths that set us free. And this is the truth, that he alone is the life. He alone is the bread of life. Whoever comes to me won't grow hungry. It's an extraordinary claim. Extraordinary. He's making these declarations that there is a thirst in the human heart. There is a hunger in the human soul that will only find its union and consummation and satisfaction in him. And so it is my conviction that the three things, and this is the conviction of many, (laughs) across disciplines, especially those who study the human mind, human behavior, that there are three things that we long for, are some deep core needs that we have is to be known. You say known? valued and included. I know it sounds basic. It's like we're back in high school again. But these, according to the most like sophisticated of therapists and writers and anthropologists, they, they talk of these three things, known, valued, and included. And these things are found in Jesus and the bread of life. The challenge of our culture right now is that like most of us are obscure. <laughs> Pretty much all of us, right? You're invisible. There are billions of us. 
You're not that special. You're invisible. Do you know half the world right now is under the age of 16? <laughs> so unless you're here and under the age of 16, I mean, you're, you're in a deep minority. You feel worthless. We feel alienated from ourselves. Social media, right, often makes it worse. You especially feel like this, right, when some of you, when you give yourself to someone, maybe you sleep with them and then you give them your bank account, you move in, and then they just find somebody else and they move on. And you're like, I gave you everything I had. What am I worth? What am I worth? I guess not much. I think a lot of us feel this around like their current performance. You're dominating this quarter and then the next quarter is coming. And if you suck, it's like, well, that last quarter didn't really matter, I guess. Like we're only as good as our current performance. Does anyone feel that in their work? I'm only as good as like how I'm performing right now. So you feel like our value is so fragile and so dependent on our ability to win and keep winning or at least give the projection of winning. I love the line, there's nothing scarier than an aging supermodel. Nothing scarier. We feel excluded. We have this haunting sense that there's this right group to be in. I think it starts in third grade and then we're just basically traumatized from then on, right? We wanna know, like we wanna be valued, we wanna be known, we wanna be included, but our culture says to us that we're invisible, that we're worthless and that we're excluded. Our core longings, we long to be known and valued and included and the staggering beauty of Jesus, friends, the staggering picture of this bread is that he meets us in these things. Psalm 139 He sees us. He sees our condition. He knew you in your mother's womb. He saw the people no one else saw. A God that's aware of your tears. It says in Psalm 439, your tears are so precious that God collects them. Jesus, when he sees all the brokenness of humanity, he weeps. He has this ability to go through the world and see the people that everybody else didn't see. If you feel like you're one of those people, you are seen by God. We're valued, the Bible says. God's love is lavished on us, lavished. You ever met somebody who loves you so much that it triggers insecurity? You know somebody like that? There's a few people in our church that love well like that. You're like, dude, that's a li-, like, I'm a little insecure about this. Like, do you really love me like that? This is what God does. And then we're told that we're included, we're in Christ. New family, new future, new community, adopted, we're in. The biblical phrase here is that you're a child of God. So underneath all the striving and underneath all the promiscuity and underneath all your efforts to stand out, underneath all the ache and all the pain, those core things, like I wanna be valued and I wanna be included and I wanna be seen and Jesus comes And he says, that's what I'm gonna do for you. Live out of this. In our prayer room, we've been parking in that verse, be rooted and established in love. That was written first and foremost to a community. Be like Paul getting up here and reading to the church at Sanctuary in 2023. Friends, be rooted in love. Be established in this love and who I say that you are I know you've heard that before. I know you're like, yeah, 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 I'm loved. No, root yourself in it, in your rhythms and your patterns. Stop escaping there. Stop escaping to the basement. Stop escaping to the screen. Stop escaping to whatever it is. Stop escaping to shopping. Stop, root yourself in me. 
Know that there's a bigger adventure here for you. In me, I will satisfy. And so the question then that the crowd rightly asks, so what do I got to do? And Jesus is like, all you got to do is believe. Which is a way of saying all you've got to do is trust. Trust. All you have to do to receive this life is trust. This isn't like declarations in the mirror that wear off after someone says like, you're no good, you ugly. No. It's when we actually receive into our spirit something like when Jesus says, truly I tell you, it is not because you saw these signs that you're looking for me, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that perishes. Do not work, but for food that endures to eternal life. Believe. Believe. Believe it's true. And it's not easy. It's not easy to trust. My good buddy is here in the room. The constant conversation we have all the time, it's like, I don't know how to trust this, Andrew. I don't know how to trust this. I don't know how to trust this. And the invitation is just to continue to come back and to believe, to trust again, to feast and delight in the grace and mercy that's him. That's why people are able to do crazy things, like forgive someone who's so deeply wronged them. That's why people are able to to pour out mercy and grace. That's why people are able to step into greater freedom and move away from the traps that have come in around them and their upbringing. This is why there are some people who, who are a bit more alive, however much they may be struggling, are just alive with wonder because they're not looking to anyone or anything else to meet the basic needs. It's people whose trust is deepening. People who are believing a little more every day that Jesus is more than enough. At some point, friends, your life will run out. But Jesus comes and says this eternal life, the life of the age is the life of heaven you can have now. And so my prayer for you this week is that you will learn to feast on the good news, to feast on the bread of life. And so I want to invite us into a moment here before the bread. I want to invite you to get into whatever position might be helpful for you. For me, when I'm in the prayer room, I like to pull out a journal and begin to just write. Others I know like take their knee. I was at a wedding the other day in a Catholic church and I was like, man, we got to get some of these like kneeling things. But some of you, like, kneeling is the move. Maybe it's just putting two feet flat on the floor, closing your eyes, and opening your hands. I want to invite you into a posture of just come, Holy Spirit. And would you hear these uh, invitations? Friends, Micah and Breton and Ashley, Jocelyn and Sam and Sydney and Jen and Brent, Sarah and Corey, Yaron, Katie, Scott, Allison, all of us here, 
hear this, that Jesus urges the people not to labor for bread that perishes and will not satisfy, but to feast on that which will fix not just their circumstances, but their souls. Hear the words of Isaiah. Come, everyone who's thirsty, come to the waters. And you without money, come by and eat. Come by wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money on what is not food and your wages on what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Pay attention and come to me. Listen so that you will live. Do you trust God with your deepest spiritual, relational, and emotional needs? Ask yourself this this morning. God's heart is for his people to free them from the trap of seeking satisfaction in the temporary, to teach them how to delight in him, inviting them to feast our hearts on his love and grace and friendship. Can he meet your deepest spiritual, relational, and emotional needs? Talk to him about that question. Bring it before him now. Talk to him about that now. Can he be trusted? Can you believe again? Maybe just a little more. Can he be trusted? Ask him, Lord, can you can I trust you? Maybe for some of you you need to hear Jesus saying, like to the man crippled at the pool, do you want to be healed? He will not force himself upon you. Do you want to be healed? Do you want me? Whether the road is long or short to healing, do you want him to be your guide? Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Are there any substitutes, friends? John, Dave, Tony, Sam, baby. Are there any substitutes, sacred or secular, that you have been trying to draw sustenance from? Ask God to help you see the emptiness of what is being falsely offered. Are there any substitutes that you've been trying to draw nutrition from, sustenance from, and ask God, God, help me see the emptiness. Help me see the emptiness.
invite us to carry these questions into a time of responding. I'm going to pray for us. And we're going to sing in response. We're going to sing responses like, Lord, I need you. Responses like, you are the provider. Singing the, one of the names is given to God, Jehovah Jireh, which means my provider. We're going to sing of our destiny, of who we are, already loved, chosen. We're going to sing of the satisfaction, the daily bread that the Lord brings. If he dresses the lilies, how much more does he care for us? And so whether you want to remain in the posture you're in now, if you'd like to come forward and you need to actually come and take seconds at the front <laughs> to come and take the bread and the cup again today as a sort of act of just renouncing some of these lesser loves, these the bread that doesn't satisfy, come. If you'd like to stand and sing in response, do that. However you'd like to respond in this moment. But we pray again, come Holy Spirit. And so I begin with just the prayer of, of need. If you'd like to pray with me in this regard, like in spirit, Holy Spirit, we need you. And some of us, Lord, need you to show us and shine a light on those spaces, on those things that aren't, that aren't satisfying and we're blinded by and too. Some of us, Lord, are very aware of those things and we just are desperate for you to give us the courage and strength to believe and trust you again, but we need you. Let's sing together.